0: Every time he sees me, his eyes light up. I can almost hear his heart beat faster. He looks at me the same way he did when we first met. For him, it's love at first sight every day. For me, it's heartbreaking.
1: Loving someone who's living with dementia is not easy. For support, advice or to make a donation, Visit dementiasa.org. Your inspiration radio, VUCA Online. Welcome, and we have another episode of Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. You are tuned to VUCA Online Radio, your inspiration radio station. By now, you know that the show is about healthcare. It's about things in healthcare that we don't talk about. It's about, oh, I'd really like to ask questions, but you feel too embarrassed or you feel like your question's too stupid. And you know, there's nothing like that here. It's about let's unpack, let's find out. Also, very importantly, the show is about healthcare professionals and to show you that healthcare professionals are people just like you and me they get tired they get hungry they get they would also like a hug and so just on that before i introduce you to my guests today when last did you ask your doctor or your healthcare professional whoever that may be how they are you know so often they work with people where oh it's just like deal with sick people deal with people who want something from them and no one ever cares about them so please be kind Go find out how your healthcare professional is. After the break, we're going to meet a fascinating man, uh, Dr. Kevin Adams. And he is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And he's going to be sharing with us all sorts of information and how things work. And we're going to ask all those questions. I promise to ask those questions for you. But let's go for that break.
0: Memorize this simple route. Left, right. Third right, second left, right. One more time. Left, right, third right, second left, right. Got it? Great! Now try doing that same route back. See? Memorizing where you came from is easy. Getting back there, not so much. That's why Smart has ready to spot, which finds the route back to your car in a split second. And it's left, second, right, third left, left, right, by the way. Smart. You listening to FUGA Online Radio.
1: Welcome back, you tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. Today's show is all about plastic surgery. And now I'm sure plastic surgery you've already had a picture of whatever your picture is of what plastic surgery is. But here with us is Dr. Kevin Adams, and he is Adams actually, and he is going to be explaining to us exactly what and how, and we're going to find out about plastic surgery. But Dr. Adams, welcome! Thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you for the invite, Colleen. It's great to be here.
1: Okay, so um, let's look at it. You let me just give the the readers a little bit of background here. Dr. Kevin Adams is Cape Town-based plastic and reconstructive surgeon. He has considerable experience in cosmetic, reconstructive, non-surgical rejuvenation, and transgender surgery. And he's one of a handful of elite surgeons recognized throughout South Africa for his meaningful contributions to surgical advancements, including numerous peer-reviewed journal articles. So, Dr. Adams... Tell
0: us about your journey into becoming a plastic surgeon. Well, so uh, good question. Thanks, Colleen. Um, And it's something that I often discuss with the students and scholars who come and do the job shadowing. So um, my first decision as I was leaving high school was uh, that I should do medicine because those were my strengths. and I didn't commit to any specific speciality while I was at medical school, um, but by the end of, of medical school, when I graduated and was doing my internship, it became clear to me that I found surgery more interesting than psychiatry or obstetrics and gynecology or internal medicine. Um, so uh, my first job as an intern was in neurosurgery, which I found fascinating. And uh, as many young doctors are, I was arrogant and very full of myself. And some would argue that I slam in some respects. But it's one of those things that over the years I hope I've I've learned to improve upon. So my first thought, because I I got a glowing review from my my professor when I was uh, doing neurosurgery, was I'll be a brain surgeon. I mean, who doesn't want to be a brain surgeon? Um, and over the years, as I was working, I, I went over to the UK and was, was locuming over there, making obscene amounts of money, but working good hours. Uh, I think the busiest week I had while I was locoming was at 128 hours and it was great. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of friends, so it was great to work. Um, and then I took three month holidays and spent all of the money, um, But it was when, so while I was over there, my wife came from Cape Town and joined me, although we weren't married at the time. And then we got married and we were having our daughter and we decided it was time to come back to Cape Town. I thought, okay, well, clearly I'm the prodigal son. I'll just phone up neurosurgery and tell them to to, to give me a trainee post. And that was the first kind of wake up call that I got because when I, I, I phoned the department, they said, well, We've just appointed somebody, and so there aren't any spaces at the moment, but if you want to wait for four or five years, we probably will have a post for you. And I kind of thought, uh no. Um, and in hindsight, serendipity is a great thing. So interestingly enough, my wife's best friend's sister-in-law was the secretary in the plastic surgery department, which was right next door to neurosurgery. And um, she said, well, you know, they're looking for people. i had done a bit of plastic surgery while I was in the UK. And so I, I phoned up uh, my my boss who um, said, yeah, sure, come across. And I said, well, actually, I'm a, my, my, my my daughter's about to be born, so no, I'm not coming for an interview. But when she is born, we'll come back to South Africa and blah, blah, blah. And in hindsight, that was – one of the best things that's ever happened in my life because plastic surgery is the speciality for my personality, uh, if that makes sense. And if, if anybody thinks about it, you can almost characterize t- types of surgeons, but types of doctors by their personality. They, they, they tend to clump together. And the thing that really drew me about plastic surgery is it probably is the only area in medicine where people ask you to do things to them as opposed to you having to explain to them why you think it's a good idea to do things to them. Um, and that kind of appeals to me. Um, I like solving problems, and once they're solved, moving on. And we'll come back to that in, in, in a little bit. Um, So that that was how I got into plastic surgery. And uh, the more time I've spent in it, the more I've realized that it is a a fantastic speciality. Um, Medicine on its own, just for for anybody that, that is wondering about coming into medicine. One of the things that I ask a lot of the students and scholars who want to come into medicine is, what is your motivation for doing it? When I came into medicine, there was still a little bit of, of um, uh, social uh, positivity to that. It, it gave you a bit of status. Um, there was the impression that you would make a lot of money and all those kind of things. None of that applies. Okay, um, You work long hours. Yes, you do get paid, but you probably don't get paid as well as, as you should for the number of hours that you put in. Um, But if you enjoy working with people, communicating with people, and most importantly, helping people, then it's a fantastic profession to be in. Um, So, yeah, that that was how I I, I got into plastic surgery. And uh, because you you kind of touched on it earlier when, when we were chatting, just to point out that a lot of people think that plastic surgery is putting breast implants in. That's not where the word plastic comes from, okay? Um, breast implants first started in the late 1960s. Plastic surgery, as we know it today, started in the time between the First and the Second World War. And plastos, which is where the name comes from, means shaping and molding, which is where plastics get their name from. Um, and it really is working with soft tissues to create other things, so reshaping, remoulding, and reconstructing. So modern plastic surgery actually came out of the uh, chemical warfare from the First World War, and then from fire injuries to aviators during the Second World War. So a lot of the foundations of modern-day plastic surgery come from burn management, and indeed that is what we spend a lot of our time doing now. But in terms of the big picture – About 5% of what we do as plastic surgeon is cosmetic surgery. 95% of what we do is reconstructive surgery. And if anybody is also wondering, because this is a, a, a fundamental point to understand, really good cosmetic surgeons were great reconstructive surgeons before they started doing cosmetic surgery. You need that understanding of the body to be able to to make you a great cosmetic surgeon. The unfortunate thing that I've noticed over the years when I was in plastic surgery education is that a lot of people think that plastic surgery is an easy way to make lots of money through cosmetic surgery. Those people have the wrong motivation and they tend to be the people that are lazy and try and charge lots of money for doing very little work. And that's where the problems come in. Um, and they're the, the kind of people who will turn their back on a patient when there is a complication. And if you ever come across a doctor who guarantees anything, the only time I can guarantee you anything is that they are lying. Um, and so beware of, of, of doctors that try and sell you things because one of the things that I've learned the hard way over the years in medicine is that you cannot guarantee anything. The one thing I, I, I can do is guarantee that I will try not to get a complication, but I can't guarantee that it won't happen. Um, and yeah, so, so that, that, that distinction is, is, is worth making, I think, is that in my head anyway, and granted I am probably biased. Reconstructive surgery is correcting a problem which may be a birth defect. It may be an accident. It may be a cancer. But is it is correcting a problem which is not normal. Cosmetic surgery is changing perceived abnormalities for an appreciable cosmetic gain. Okay? And... So that is is what in my head is cosmetic surgery. So it's not improving form or function, but it is a changing appearance um, for for, for none of those gains. Did I I, I, I explain that properly?
1: Yes, you did. I certainly can see that part of your job is, is that you teach. You've managed to put in so many little things all in our first session. Um, Yes, so I think great um, distinction between reconstructive versus cosmetic. And as you said, 95% of reconstructive. But how we how I think the perception out there is, is that, oh, you just churn out some cosmetic things and make lots of money. So yeah, thank you for settling that one for us. But let's go for a break and then we'll talk about your different types of surgery, specifically about your um, gender affirming or transgender surgery. But let's go for that break. Fiverr presents How to
0: Entrepreneur. Got an idea? Isn't that cute? My little sister has ideas. You, you have a business to build. So So get a logo, make a website, market it, promote it, promote the out of it. Cancel the brainstorm. The only one who can
1: do this is you
0: and your power to get it done. So I can do it? Pitch it to your mom. Pitch it to your ex. Pitch it to your roommate. Pitch it to anyone who will listen. But definitely don't pitch it to these guys. Woo the customer. Schmooze the customer. Oh, and this guy? Just ignore him. Beat the gurus. Beat the trust fund kids. Beat the tech bros. Nice scooter, yo. Change the business, change the industry, change everything. And while you're at it, save the rhinos. Above all, and this is important, do. Because thinking big is still just thinking. You're listening to Vuga Online.
1: Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Adams. He is a plastic and reconstructive surgery surgeon, and he has just been explaining to us the, the difference between The cosmetic, that I think we seem to think that all plastic surgery is, versus the reconstructive. And that reconstructive is is when you're actually working with something that's not in a normal range, and you're making it within a normal range. And, you know, for instance, the person could have been uh, born with it. So let's look at the different types of procedures that you do do, Kevin.
0: So... Um, I do all kinds of of plastic surgery procedures. I I deal with burns. I deal with skin cancers. I deal with facial fractures. um, We do a lot of breast surgery. I do a lot of pelvic surgery. We deal with lower limbs. We deal with hand surgery. So plastic surgeons, and again, I'm I'm biased, I believe are are the ultimate general surgeons because we operate on, on all parts of the body. Um, And as part of that, we often work together with other specialities. So we work with ophthalmologists around the eyes. We work with ENT surgeons in head and neck reconstruction. We work with general or breast surgeons in breast reconstruction. We often work with orthopedic surgeons in hand surgery and upper limb surgery. And I spend a lot of my time working with urologists and gynecologists when we're dealing with, with, with the pelvic organs and, 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 and so on. Um, so we, and for the last 20 years, I was at, at Chrodeskia. I retired at the end of 2022. Um, and during that time, I did the whole spectrum of, of plastic surgery. So I worked at Red Cross Hospital as well. So dealt with a lot of congenital or birth abnormalities um, as well as a lot of burns, because we 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 deal with a lot of pediatric burns there. Um, but I also dealt with uh, the whole range of of the adult plastic surgery spectrum, and that was probably how I ended up doing transgender surgery. I didn't even know it existed until my patients brought it to my attention and said, "Please, you've got to help me. You've got to do this," and. Um, but is what is transgender? Okay. For the audience, let's, let's
1: explain what transgender surgery is.
0: Okay. So the transgender surgery is part of the transition process, but it's important to understand important definitions first. And I've learned over the years, and I'm, I'm very grateful to the, the people that have educated me along the way. So the fundamental thing to understand is being transgender has nothing to do with being transsexual. And the reason I say that is because there is a very important distinction between your sexual orientation and your gender identity. So, the definition of your gender identity is a very personal one. So, it is how you, most importantly, see yourself as a human being. So, I'm Kevin, I identify as being a man, and when I wake up in the morning, I see myself as a man, okay? And, importantly, as I go about my day, I want other people to identify me as a man and interact with me in that way. So my gender identity is male. Okay. That is completely different from who I want to have sex with. So sex and your sexual orientation is independent of your gender identity. So yes, I am heterosexual. But equally, I could be gay, I could be bisexual, or I could be asexual. And again, that is a fundamental human right, I think, is is, is the right way to put it. I get to decide who I am as a human being. That's my sense of autonomy, and that's where our South African constitution is fantastic. It respects that right. Um, so being transgender means that your personal identity of who you are is not in sync. It's not congruous with your physical body. Okay. And this is where a lot of friends, family, people I meet start to get confused so in terms of understanding that from the beginning don't think of yourself as colleen and why the hell would you colleen ever want to be a man because you're not okay so if i'm explaining to you what it would be like to be a transgender person think back to when you were 10 or 11, or 12, when your hormones were just starting to kick in, you were getting a bit of social anxiety, and you were looking forward to the things that define you as a woman. So you were looking forward to a bit of breast development and becoming curvaceous and all those kind of things. But now remember how fragile you were at that stage, and now imagine that you, Colleen, Start getting hair on your face and your voice starts to deepen. And then you get size 11 feet with really hairy legs. How does that make you feel about your body? Because you are still a woman. Okay. So the mistake a lot of people make is thinking, why would I, as Kevin, want to be a woman other than for some weird kind of sexual reason? Okay. And that's not what it's about. Um, so once you can understand that fundamental human right of your own identity, then it, it, it must be-
1: feel it must feel like the person is trapped in the in a body that other people are saying is their body, but they saying no, this isn't my body.
0: Exactly. And the reason I, I was picking on 9, 10, 11, 12, is because that's when we hit puberty. Now, I'm not transgender, but I remember how fragile I was at that age. And if you think about it, the one thing that you are supposed to be able to rely on in your life is yourself. But now your body has let you down. Just imagine how that makes you feel about your body. So to give you the other side of that coin, For a trans man. Okay. So I'm Kevin. But when I'm in puberty. As a teenager. I start to develop breasts. I start to have periods. And. One of the things that I like. To hope is peculiar to South Africa. Is another strange societal aberration. Which is. Particular to to transgender men. And that misogynistic society that we tend to live in, which goes, men are right. And for transgender men, one of the biggest problems is having breasts. And in our society, the problem that men think, well, why do you think that you're Kevin? We know that you were a woman. Clearly, your confusion in life is coming about because you haven't had good sex. So we're going to perform our civil duty by doing a thing called corrective rape, which is just the most hideous thing that I can think of. Because I am Kevin, but now I'm pregnant. How does that make you feel about your body then? Okay, and yeah, I'm, I I I don't want to digress too much on on, on onto the the difficulties, it, it is very difficult being transgender. So very
1: difficult. And, and also that people are going through a difficult time enough as it is without exactly. the community yeah. who doesn't understand, hasn't lived one nanosecond in another yeah. person's yeah. life. Yeah. What age do you have to be in order to be have this corrective surgery in order to have this transgender surgery? Okay,
0: you're jumping the gun. So, but I like the way you think, because I used to think that way. I used to think, I am the Messiah. I am the plastic surgeon. I can fix anything, okay? And I've come to learn that the surgery is just a part of the transition. The biggest transition happens in your brain. And so the psychology and and your psyche is a really, really important part of your individual being. The second part of that is the hormonal manipulation, which we can start at the time of puberty. And we can talk a little bit more about that later on if we need to. The surgery, I very firmly believe we should be able to do at any stage, but with lots of checks and balances in place. The reason I say that we should be able to do it at any age is because if you as a parent... Care about your child. So, uh, to give you context again, Polly, I've been working with transgender people for uh, about 15 years. Every single one of them, I ask the question, when did you first realize that you were transgender? There are those people who say, I've always known, and their parents back them up. We've always known, Okay. Then there are the people who misunderstand the question and they think because I'm a doctor, I'm asking them, when did they know that it was called being transgender? And they will usually say 15, 16, but basically when they get access to the Internet. Um, and so the thing to remember is that transgender people have always been in the wrong body. Most um, personal start started about the age of two and caring parents will notice that their child is not conventional okay and as i said earlier i had problems in puberty as a teenager and caring parents may well want to help their child through puberty and if everything has been done properly, and all the check boxes have been ticked. The psychologists have been involved, the social workers have been involved, and the family is involved. We should be able to facilitate the surgical transition to enable the mental well-being of a transgender person. Does that make sense? It doesn't make
1: perfect sense. Okay. Um, I'm seeing that it's it's a huge topic. There's so much to unpack. But let's just go for a break for the moment so that we can um, pay our bills. And then when we come back, let's look at, you know, in our last session, and there seems to be so much. I think we're going to have to get you back, Kevin. Um, <laughs> but let's look when we come back at medical aid, for instance. How do we pay for this? Okay, let's go for that break.
0: Since 2017, we are proud to associate ourselves with some of the best jazz music in the country and the continent. and many others. This year, we are at it again. So we invite musicians, music companies, radio stations, jazz clubs to nominate yourselves and those who deserve recognition. Visit www.zajazzarwards.co.za then come and join us, whether online or face to face. Come and celebrate, venerate and recognize chairs with us for the Zansi Chairs Awards. See you there. Simply the best. Online.
1: Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. My guest today is Dr. Kevin Adams. He is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And he specializes in lots of procedures. As he said, it's almost um, a speciality where you get to work with all parts of the body. But we have been talking about the fact that he does gender affirming or transgender surgery. Um, very involved, Very, uh, we get muddled up with gender versus your sexual identity, your sexual orientation. Um, and also as a parent, to, to be there for your child, to support your child. But... A parent has now come to see you with their child. How do we pay for this, Kevin?
0: Okay, so it is complex surgery, okay? And there are, as with with any operation, there are benefits and there are risks. And because of the benefits and risks, depends on the options that we choose as we go along. Um, For me, It is not about what I think is the right thing. My job, and I've simplified my life by realizing my job is not to tell you this is the operation for you. It's to explain the principles of what we're trying to achieve and the risks and the benefits of each of the different techniques. Because, again, as I've realized over the years, the person that suffers when there are problems is not me. Okay. I might have a crisis of conscience for a couple of days but the patient is the person that suffers with the complications, okay? So, um, and again, it it is one of the things that that medical aides struggle to to get their heads around. So, to answer your question directly at the moment, in the private sector, um, Discovery will fund gender-affirming surgery if you go through their pilot project. To qualify for that pilot project, you need to be on either the Discovery Executive Plan or a Discovery Comprehensive Plan for three years, okay? Then you can apply to Discovery, and they will decide because they're using their ex-gratia fund. So it comes outside the pool of benefits that you pay for with your um, subscriptions, They will then decide if they are going to fund your surgery, and if they say, yes, we will, they put a condition that the patient will pay 20% of any costs and Discovery will pay up to 200,000 Rand towards the surgery, okay? And that may be a series of operations. So depending on the individual, there may be two, three, four, or five operations that need to be done during their transition, and that is different for everybody. But Discovery will pay up to 200,000 rand to cover those surgeries. Okay. Then GEMS, which is the Government Employees Medical Scheme, also funds gender-affirming surgery. And they seem to be a whole lot more reasonable. So they will pay for it on any plan except their very basic plan, which I think is called their Tanzanite plan. The scheme that administers GEMS at the moment is called Med Scheme, and they have said since the beginning of 2021 that they will pay for gender-affirming surgery, but I haven't come across any patients yet that are on Med Scheme and been put in the position where, where we need to negotiate that with the scheme, but in principle, they will cover it as well. There are a couple of other closed schemes, Bank Med is paid for, a couple of gender-affirming surgeries. Um, and because they are a closed scheme, the risk profile is, is slightly different. And so they, they, they sometimes tend to find a more humane side to what they do. But it is very much a, a, a hit and miss thing. Did that kind of answer your question? And basically, if you're not on any of those plans, you're going to be, have to be paying for it yourself. If you can't afford to pay for it yourself, you can go to a state hospital. Kruduskia in Cape Town does gender-affirming surgery. I hang my head in shame when I say the waiting list is 25 years long for you to have your operation there, and that 25-year waiting list is just for people who live in the Western Cape because we can't afford to put people that live in other provinces on that waiting list but one of the things that I am trying to do is train surgeons in other parts of the country so that in the state service people have access to these operations does that answer your uh, question
1: so yes that does that does answer the question um, so it's about saying what are your options out there where can you go and also knowing that if you really are wanting this that there is always a way and so yes yay for you and that you are actually spreading the love and that you are sharing your skills with other surgeons in South Africa so that more people can be, uh, can receive the surgery. But now after the surgery, um, I assume that there are then hormones, they're different exercises. It doesn't just end there.
0: Exactly. But hormones comes before surgery as well. So remember we were talking about the brain and the psyche. Go back to your 12-year-old self and having that disgusting body that doesn't belong to you. One of the key things to helping your brain start liking your body is to start taking the hormones. Again, when I started out and I was taught at medical school, you never want to give somebody testosterone because it makes them aggressive and they want to kill people and all that kind of nonsense. But... For trans men, when you put them on testosterone and they stop having periods and their body stops giving them the cyclical hormonal changes, their body feels a whole lot more like them. So they actually become calmer people, okay? And then there are the secondary sex characteristics that go along with a woman. So for a trans woman, when she starts on estrogen, her breasts will start to develop. The body fat distribution is going to change, and so on and so forth. So hormones should actually start before surgery. Again, there are people who don't find that the hormones agree with them, and they don't have to take their hormones. Okay? So there is no one-size-fits-all um, package. What we've learned over the years is we need to individualize to that individual human being. Um, And this is, again, where I think South Africa is way ahead of many other parts of the world. So a year, two years ago, a year and a half ago, we worked with a a whole lot of um, uh, South African medical people with an interest in transgender surgery, and we set out guidelines for South Africa. Okay, which are incredibly progressive. Um, And as part of that, we recognize the person's right to self um, uh, determination. So, in other words, just because I think it'll be a good idea for you to take hormones, doesn't mean that you have to. And more importantly, I need to respect your right to make that decision and not think that you're weird because you're not doing what I told you to. Does that make sense? So, um,
1: so the, you, you totally encouraging the autonomy of the patient in that they absolutely,
0: know, Absolutely. They know what and, they and need. They that, know
1: what's best for them.
0: Exactly. And my job is just in helping to educate them, giving them the information that they need to be able to make good decisions about their life. And, it helps me a, a whole deal because I don't have the stress of having to decide for somebody else how they should live their life. That's a huge responsibility. And more importantly, part of my job is also pointing out to people, it's okay to change your mind. So as you go through that transition process, you may think at one stage as a trans woman, your breasts are too small, but you can't afford to have a breast implants now. So you wait three or four years and you find your breast keep growing. And now you're really glad that you didn't have the breast implants, et cetera, et cetera. So we transition as we go along. And that was why I digress from, 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 from pointing out that the surgery is, is not the most important part. It is just a step. Okay. Um, but the more we realize how all of those things interconnect the hormones the surgery the psychological support and the psychological adaptations the better it's going to be and people are individuals so it'll happen at different rates and different speeds for different people does that kind of make sense
1: no it does certainly make sense um and then what would your message in closing be for your public, the general public who doesn't understand, who, who is, but it's wrong. I find that a lot of people, as soon as they don't understand something and it's out of their realm of of okay. experience, they have oh, but this is wrong.
0: Okay, so fortunately, we as a country are evolving, and I very much noted. That it is wrong is an older generation viewpoint. When I speak to my children's peers, they kind of go, go, what is the issue? How can you people not accept that there are all kinds of human beings around in some of the the same way that there are certain people who struggle to accept that there is racial um, or racism, institutionalized racism and, 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 and so on. So key place to start, I think, is first start with the concept that every human being is an individual with rights to self-determination, and we, as other people, need to respect them as individuals, okay? It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. It doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. But if you can accept that they're human beings, that's a huge and a fantastic place to start. And then, and this is where it comes back to that generational statement. When I look at uh, the generation before mine, before the Internet and that access to information, there was huge fear of social judgment and ostracism and because that was so profound you never questioned those fundamental things and that is why there was such a stigma attached to being transgender the younger generations are far more accepting in the same way that they're much more accepting of race and people's equality and That is where the youth are our future because they're able to take these new ideas on board and not question the rubbish that they were taught, um, a long time ago. Um, and
1: very encouraging and inspiring, um, you know, to actually see that things are changing, that mindsets are changing. Um, and that there is a different view. And it's also about understanding as well that just because I think you have a right to, you have the right to make your own decision, whatever it is. As you know, a lot of people have, oh, you have the rights to make the same decision I would make. Yes. And that's not rights.
0: Yes. And I do not have the right to make decisions for you.
1: Okay, so Kevin, thank you very much, Dr. Adams. You have been awesome talking to us. Um, I think we will be inviting you back because I think there's so much
0: more that we need to know. But- more than happy to. And and just to say, Colleen, if there are people who um, see this online and want questions, um, they're more than welcome to contact me. And uh, as you will see, I'm I'm about to go from this to another journalism interview with some uh, journalist in Holland, Um, but contact me. Um, Talk is cheap, communication is easy, and as we were talking about before we started the program, please always remember the best questions ever to ask are stupid questions, because those are the ones that you learn the most from when you find the answers. Um, So never be afraid to ask a stupid question. In fact, we should all be asking stupid questions all the time. And please don't forget to communicate. Yeah, chat to people. We
1: will. We will include your your contact details so that people can contact you, obviously um, confidentially and um, yes, out of the public's eye, so they can be comfortable and, and safe with you asking um, with them asking questions. And um, yes, thank you very much. So it's been a pleasure. You have been tuned to Healthcare Hour. Madonias, remember that you
0: are loved. You matter. Highway Harley-Davidson. There are no words. Where we play your music your way all day, every day. This is Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station.